Well, good morning. It's good to see my brothers and sisters. I may actually need a, I very rarely need this, but I may need a, a tissue, <laughs> babe, if someone has one. Uh, my beautiful bride here, Sarah, wonderful. She is. I'm less beautiful. No. <laughs> Sam, you're still, you're beautiful in your own way. <laughs> oh. Did not expect that this morning. That's why music is so important. God created music and he uses it to, to just arrest our hearts, to put our minds back on the things he wants us to focus on and the spirit just wells up within us. So let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. A couple weeks ago, I was trying to finish out our series and I did not. And our empowered series needs a proper conclusion, but also the last few verses of chapter 14 need greater emphasis, and I hope you'll see why today. So 1 Corinthians 14, so let me, let me give you a little bit of a, a recap, what was going on a couple weeks ago. You know, Todd introduced this idea about a church being at peace and that God is not the author, is not the author of confusion, but he's the God of peace, and so he wants his churches to be at peace, in a sense, unified. That there would literally be peace among them and peace in their hearts, that things would be done decently and in order. And the Corinthian church is the church that is the example of the opposite of all of that. The, the, the church that was uh, just chaotic and just rife with confusion. God's saying, that's not me. You think I'm among you. You think that I'm doing what you're doing, that I'm leading that and I'm guiding it. I'm not. The fruit of it proves it to be the case. So he through Paul, writes to the Corinthians to bring some correction. A church at peace is a church that builds. And we've seen since chapter eight, Paul has been hitting this point. Hey, listen, build, build others up. Build others up. Make it about others, not just about you. You come to gathering together in the church service, it should be about being built. Edification, The things are done decently and in order so everyone can benefit. But where we come together and we try to make it about ourselves, then we become a distraction. And Paul's trying to say, this is not the spirit. This isn't spiritual people. This isn't the spirit at work. So what does it take to be a church that builds was the question then a couple weeks ago. And Paul's giving some detailed things, letting everything be done decently, one or two at a time that speak one at a time that speaks, everyone listen, then you move on to the next thing. Then the move, if, if the speech that's being said is a different language that can't be understood, then remain silent. If someone else is speaking, then remain silent. And then we got to that real easy point that doesn't bring up any controversy at all about women remaining silent when it's time to learn and speak. We spent basically the whole time talking about that. We come here today, we don't really have the problem that they had because we all are kind of decently in order. No one's interrupting this time. But we need to continue on. What does he finish with in chapter 14? What what does it really take, finishing it, to be a church that will build? The greatest edification that comes to our life is from this right here. The word of God. In the beginning was the word, The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ, the word of God, his words. The Pharisees searched the scriptures 
thinking they would find eternal life in the scriptures, but Jesus said, it is the scriptures that are prophesying and testifying about me, yet you're rejecting me. You're missing it all. This is what we need. These are the words, the sentences that must be entering through the ear, past the heart, into the mind to be accepted, not rejected, in order for life to change for a person. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 1 Corinthians 14, what does it take to be a church that builds? It takes people who understand truth comes from God's word and not from them. Look at verse 36 with me. Let's read this. Verse 36 of 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says this, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. Remember, 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about these two specific gifts that were out of whack. These speaking gifts, prophecy and tongues that weren't being used properly, and tongues have been placed way too high. And uh, the, the, the unknown language have been placed way too high in the church service. And Paul's basically saying like, hey, this, this needs to come down in a few notches. Desire to prophesy. Prophesy being like God's telling you something that he wants you to tell others so they can benefit. Clearly can be understood. But even that needs to function in a way where everyone actually can benefit. We're talking about actually being effective. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that moves through his people cares about actually being effective for every single person. And so that's what we strive for. And what Paul's revealing here is a decency and an orderliness within the church is necessary and also akin to how the spirit works. We're gonna talk a little bit more about some of the false ways. Sometimes we get trapped up in this idea that if things are just spontaneously happening all the time, that's a sign that the spirit's working. Well, the spirit's revealed how he works decently and in order takes a church that builds it takes a whole group of people in the church who understand collectively unified understand that truth doesn't come from within here truth comes from outside of us that has come to us and reached us truth comes from god and not from us look what he says here to the corinthians and you can tell by the way he's saying it that it's a rebuke he's saying this or was it from you that the word of god came Or are you the only ones it has reached? Implication, you can find Paul's really having to defend himself here. Commissioned as God as the apostle, the Lord Jesus resurrected alive Jesus, showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus, revealed himself to him and commissioned him to be an apostle to carry the gospel and carry it specifically to the Gentiles and reveal this mystery and make it very clear that the gospel is reaching everyone in the world. Everyone can be saved. And Paul was speaking about the things that were authority and commands from the Lord himself. So he comes to this church that he lays his life down for and he helps begin 
and he goes away for a while and he starts to hear reports of how the, the church at Corinth was acting and how they were already giving ear to false teachers, how they were already maligning Paul. You go to 2 Corinthians, it's gotten even worse where Paul's being made fun of, he's being gossiped about, he's being mocked. There's empty talk going on among the people to devalue the authority of Paul and Paul has to defend it. So he says this, or was it from you? that the word of God came rhetorical. Of course, the word of God did not come from them. It actually came to them and who was carrying it? Paul was carrying it. But Paul would take that even further, say it didn't come from him either. Jesus was the one who revealed himself to Paul. It came from Jesus. You heard Sam mention the Berean church, Acts chapter 17. You've heard us say that several times, maybe Maybe we not be clear what that means. It's a good thing to be a Berean. If someone calls you, man, you're like a Berean, that's a good thing. Paul says that the Bereans were more of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? It says because they received the preaching of God's word with eagerness. They were eager to receive it, but not just receive it and done. It was eager to receive it, but then they would go home and they would search the scriptures daily to affirm that what they were hearing was actually true. Let me tell you this. Do you think someone who's bringing you a false message gladly accepts you going and fact-checking them? No, they'll try to guilt you into feeling like you're doing something wrong for questioning them in the first place. Ding, 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 red flag. I'm gonna bring up some more later about false teachers. But Paul's rejoicing that they would take the word and search it for themselves. And guess what? During a time when they didn't have the word like we have it, they couldn't just open it up and look for it. They had to like go down, they had to go to the synagogue, go to where the scribes were, and they actually had to ask for it and get it. And they'll all stand around the same scroll as they opened it up and read it together. It was laborious. So the efforts that they were going through to assure that what they were hearing was true, very noble. That's why we say, must be Bereans. That's why it's a good thing. We want to be a brand. As pastors, if there's anything, anything that could be even better to hear about the church that you're in charge of pastoring, it would be that the people are becoming Berean. They're less concerned about what they want to be true and they're making sure to find the scripture to prove their points and they're more concerned about what does the truth that comes only from God say that does not originate in me, which means I'm probably filled with a lot of garbage that needs to be weeded out. So I'm allowing this to do its work in my heart. I only care about God's truth. And we've just went through one of the passages before this concerning the role of women and gender and women wearing the image of God with great care, being the great symbol of submission, showing that even to the angels, right? We know in our culture that is not a message that wants to be told or heard or entertained at all. There's the test, put that to the test. What do you want to be true? in your life, what you want, or do you want to conform your life to the word of God? Many other passages like that that test us. It's easy to go along with the ones that we already believe in, right? Paul's knowing that this is kind of the attitude he's having to deal with. But let me remind you this, when he says this, or was it from you that the word of God came? And then he says this, or are you the only ones it has reached? You're not the only church out there that has the truth. Many other churches, by the way, many other churches out there that have the same truth, and guess what? They're not acting like you are. And then he says this, 
if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Now, I want to remind you of an Old Testament passage that I believe, many commentaries believe as well, uh, that Paul is making them immediately think of. And if you go back to Numbers chapter 12, Moses is being opposed by a woman named Miriam. And she says something very similar to what Paul said. It makes you think that maybe Paul's using this to make them think of this passage. Listen to the words that Miriam says in mockery to Moses. Numbers 12, 2. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken also through us? But, but then Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, should acknowledge that the words I bring to you are a command, a direct word from God. But then let me now read to you the words that God spoke to Miriam and Aaron back in Numbers in response to this. And God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. It seems as though Paul's trying to make them remember this passage in a very slick, clear, quick way. Hey, don't be like Miriam and Aaron who exalted themselves against the one that God was speaking directly to, arrogantly. Paul being like Moses, who God spoke to face to face, giving him the inspired word of God to deliver to the people. Really? So when Paul speaks, he has the authority to even say, follow me as I follow Christ. No one, no one else has that authority except the ones that God has given it to. And there's no one past the completed scripture, past the apostles that have been given that authority since. Jesus, before he died, spoke to his apostles and even his disciples and even prepared them for this time. He wanted them to go out and be witnesses to all the world and that the Holy Spirit would be given to them to bring to remembrance everything that he spoke to them. And so if you read through the epistles, you read the words of the apostles, you see them doing great effort to remind the people, wait, we walked with the Lord. We touched him, we heard him. We're bringing his word directly from him to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter one with me. Now, think, th- as you're thinking about what Paul said to the Corinthians, the challenge, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he's speaking to the arrogance that's welling up inside of people's hearts. Hebrews chapter one, listen to this truth. Chapter one, verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, visions, dreams, Things like that. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right? So God's speaking to people on earth through who? Through men that he rose up that he spoke to in many different ways and at many different times. But look at this transition in verse two. But it's about to get better. That was cool and all. That was great that God did that. Something better has happened. But 
in these last days, he's spoken to us by his what? Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who's spoken to mankind. Jesus has come down from heaven and has spoken directly to us. Now, let me remind you of some of the words that Jesus himself spoke concerning this. John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus said, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. What's a better revelation? Someone who's on earth, who's having to sift through the information through visions and dreams, or someone who has been in heaven, come from, who is the exact imprint of God, the exact, the image of God himself, the Son of God, come down from heaven, taken on the form of man and man like us, and spoken directly to us. Which one's better? It's obvious. So when Paul is addressing the Corinthians, those who think they're prophets, right? They're taking their visions and their dreams and they're trying to bring things to the church, trying to get people to follow them. It's all self-exaltation as if they're bringing the authority. Paul reminds them very clearly like, hey, slow your roll here. You're subject to the other prophets and you should acknowledge that the thing that I'm writing to you is not a vision or a dream, but it is a direct command from the Lord. So come back to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians 14. Now remember kind of what we're talking about here, being a church that builds, you know, uh, under the umbrella of being a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered. First of all, we we have to be empowered in order to build, but the Spirit's only going to build through his means, and it's always going to be through the means of good, sound truth. We cannot expect to be a church that builds if we do not acknowledge and admit, you know what, truth doesn't originate in my own heart. It's not my gut feeling. It's him. We're adapting to this. We're we're making our mind and our truth and how we walk and live and how we step according to this. Second Timothy 3.15, Paul says this to Timothy. Paul's getting ready to die. He knows he's going to die. So he says to this young man who he's discipling, preparing for ministry to pass the torch on, he says this to Timothy. And how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able, the writings, scripture, able to make you wise, understanding, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, meaning there is no other writings or teachings on planet earth that someone can devote themselves to learn and understand that will make them wise for salvation. Only the scriptures. And then he says this about the scriptures to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God, spoken from the mouth of God. The same speaking that it created everything, the universe the breath of God 
is what created all the galaxies we can now see a little bit more clearly through our James Webb telescope. Only making us more and more small, it should, and more and more powerful. All scripture is breathed out by God and get this profitable Profitable means it's, it's advantageous. It actually accomplishes something. It has worth and value and weight and merit to it. Profitable for teaching, which means, okay, I need to learn. I need to grow. It, it's, it's the thing that's able to do that. For reproof, you know what? I'm wrong. I need to be rebuked. If there's anything that's right and coming to me to say I'm wrong, it's the scripture. Profitable for correction. You know what? I was going this way, but it corrected me and said, I should go this way. I know that I can turn from this and go this way because it's the scriptures that's telling me to do that. I can have confidence it's the right thing to do. And for training and righteousness, right way to live. What's right and what's wrong, where are you going to get it from? Where are you going to get morality? Good and evil, right and wrong, where do you get that from? Where does it originate for you? Is it coming from within you? Is it coming from the culture? Is it coming from shows and books and movies and universities and teachings and the masses? Or is it coming down from heaven through the man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, through his word that has already been given to you and you're taking it and you're eating it and you're consuming it and you're letting it transform your mind? And in turns transform your whole body. A church that built is a church full of people who understand that God's truth comes not from within, but from without. And it comes from God. And thank goodness it has come and we have it here, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Still places on planet earth that do not have the freedom and access to the knowledge of God's word like we do. That puts some of the responsibility on our shoulders. It should. If, if the only time you ingest the word of God is on a Sunday morning, it is keeping you alive. You hear what I said? If the only time you're ingesting and meditating and taking in God's word is on a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're coming every Sunday morning because that's keeping you alive. Otherwise, you will be pulled back into darkness that's already got you probably pulled further than you realize into it, waiting in it. A church that builds is also full of people. Now bear with me on this one. I'll explain it. It's full of people who do not entertain garbage teaching. Oh, Jasper, that, that sounds kind of harsh. Garbage? You're calling something garbage? Yes, because any teaching that would cloud people from the truth, that would keep them in their sins, that would cause them to die, stand before God and have to give an account for everything good or bad done in the body without the atoning, substitutionary, sacrificial uh, uh, work of God through Jesus Christ on their life and be found guilty and cast away from his presence for all of eternity into hell is garbage teaching. What do I mean by garbage? Garbage stinks. You don't rummage through it. You don't eat out of it. Garbage is meant to be thrown away. But 
all of us, unless we had someone in our life when we were growing up that was showing us the difference between garbage and good food. This is garbage. This is delicacy. Guess what? We're in a world that as ruled by the prince of the power of the air, the, the whole sway of the world lies under his power. And if we have no one pouring this, if this isn't getting into us, guess what? We are feasting on garbage and we get used to it. We actually like the taste of it. I have the same problem today. I have to admit it. I've become so accustomed to processed food when I eat something that's delicate, like just like refined food. It tastes disgusting to me. Like, Where's my chicken nuggets? Where's my pizza? That's what I want. That's what I'm used to. That's what I've, I've I got a taste for and I need more of it, right? But you start to, you start to taste the difference. Wow, and you start tasting something that's good, something that's healthy, something that's sound. It starts to help the garbage taste and smell more like garbage. But when you've been on garbage your whole life, that's what you like, that's what you know. You don't even know it's garbage. People who do not entertain garbage teaching. Turn with me to Second Peter, would you? Paul says, I want to remind you where I'm getting this from, verse 38 of 1 Corinthians, as you're turning to 2 Peter. Paul says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Notice that. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you can, you can ignore, don't even entertain or give the ear to this person who won't recognize what I'm bringing to you, which is the direct command from the Lord. Don't even entertain them. Don't recognize them if they will not recognize this. All right, Second Peter. Thank you guys for bearing with me. First of all, look at Second Peter 1, verse 16. Look what Peter is saying to remind the dispersed church. Peter says this in chapter one, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain, transfiguration, when Peter was taken up to the mountain with Jesus. Now turn to chapter two of Second Peter. Look what Peter says about false prophets. Verse one, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It is alive and well today. And I would say even more so with the access to everything all over the world through the internet. Now, if you would look at chapter three of Second Peter. As Paul talks about the letters that Paul writes, now you have Peter talking about Paul. Look at verse 15 of chapter three. And count the patience of our Lord 
as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, given by who? God. 16, as he does in all his letters, and look, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, amen, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You know, someone, if anyone in your life is gonna make a big deal about not letting garbage teaching into your life, it should be pastors. I wanna read to you from Acts. You don't need to turn there, I just wanna read from you. I want you to hear the, the heart of Paul as he's with the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian pastors, and he's leaving them. He's know he's going away and he'll probably never see them again. And this departure has many tears littered with it. Acts chapter 20. Paul is with the Ephesian elders. And let me find it. He says this. Paul said, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay a careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Do you hear that exhortation? To elders, to pastors. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Didn't we sing that so beautifully earlier? Wonder-working power in the blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he is able to build you up and to give you and an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Have I made a clear enough point of the importance of the word of God and the power of God's word in building up the church? And if we are people who do not recognize that truth doesn't come from within, who are willing to fight that urge to make what we do and how we live and what others are supposed to conform to if we resist the urge to make it about what we feel in our guts right or what we want to be right based off the fear of man, we won't be a church that builds. But, but also if we're the type of people who, have, who allow the voices to entertain, to take our ear, take our time and speak to us stuff that we can smell and know garbage, we won't be able to build either. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In the Old Testament, the people had the same problem. Judgment was coming. The people wouldn't listen to the prophets, the good ones, but they would listen to the ones who would tell them that good things were coming. Jeremiah says this, and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor do I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision 
worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. In other words, in other places, Jeremiah talks about the type of message they were bringing. It was one of hope. It was one that like all their dreams would come true. Just listen to me. All the while, Jeremiah is getting thrown into a pit. He's the one guy who would speak out, say the truth. The people hated him for it. It's not much different today. Judgment is coming. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Is that a, is that a bubbling up, boiling, uh, all-consuming message within in the bowels of you around everyone you meet that you want them to know? And Jesus told us to beware the leaven and the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Teaching matters. Teaching is of utmost importance. That's how the enemy knows that if he teaches, he uses words, sentences that are put together in a way that create a logic that causes the brain to think and adapt truths, deceptions. He can, he can take the whole course of life and throw it to death. Let me remind you of what happened in the garden. It's a little instance of how he works The command that God gave to Adam and Eve was very clear. But the devil shows up with deception. Did God really say? Did he really say? No, no, no. You will not die. Lie. Did God really say? Deception. Casting doubt. You will not lie. Actually, it's better than you think it will be. If you give in to this thing he told you not to do, life will be better for you. Deception comes. Doubt is the seed that gets planted, which then created what for Eve? A desire she'd never had before. It says her eyes were opened and now the thing was pleasing to the eyes and it was good for food. A desire, which led to what? Disobedience. Sin, every sin in your life that, that, that you are indulging in and giving into that's ruining and destroying your life, you can trace it back to the deception that somehow came to your mind and you listen to it and you believed it. Continue to listen to it, and you continue to believe it. And it continues to ruin you. Their disobedience led to them disguising and hiding themselves in the bushes. Shame and guilt now comes in. God pulls them out of the bushes. He covers their nakedness, and now they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And to this day, we are on a cursed planet that's on its way to being destroyed, and God has held back that destruction to give people time to repent. Because time is running out. This is the gospel message. But the good news is there is hope. There's a way to be saved instantly. Free. It's through Jesus Christ. We're almost done. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple red flags. As a pastor, as we're talking about being a church that builds, if we're making a, an emphasis about truth not entertaining stuff that's garbage, smelly, stinky. Red flags to pay attention to with things that you hear, right? I don't have them on the screen, so if you want to write them down, here they are. Red flags to look out for with anything that is being taught to you. Look out for sensual teaching or teaching that is sensuality. What does that mean? It's teaching that makes you feel something. It's, it's I'm going to determine that this is truth, based off the way it makes me feel when I hear it. And Peter actually revealed that the way false teachers and prophets work is they, they exploit you through sensuality. Many follow their sensuality and you're exploited by their greed 
because they just want you following them. Look out for teaching that in your heart where you're like, I'm determining if it's true because of the way it makes me feel. Be very careful of that. So this requires you to be kind of critical of your own self. Be self-aware. Kind of like zoom out and look at what's happening in your own heart. Look out for ear-tickling teaching. What is that? Well, that's, that's a little bit different than what I want. I want to feel something. That's more of I have something specific I want to hear. And whoever I'm listening to better say it. And Paul warns to Timothy that will be many with itching ears. They will heap for themselves. Literally, I will find the person who will say what I want to hear and heap them up there. I'll give them money. I'll do whatever. Heap them up there to say the things that I want them to say. Ear-tickling teaching is about what I want to hear. Search your own heart. If the thing you want to hear is truth from God's word, like the nobility of the Bereans, then good. But if it's more akin to the things in life and more about the way you see life and the more about what you want to hear, more about it's, it's, it's yes, I want to hear what I want to hear. There's plenty of that going on. Plenty of churches you can go to that will teach you what you want to hear, that will placate to the flesh. Look out for freedom teaching as well. It's akin to sensual teaching, but it's a little more specific. The, the, the freedom teaching that basically gives you permission to live how you want to. Uh, Paul said this when he talked about the grace of God. He made a big case about how the grace of God is more powerful than our sin. But then he has to deal with a rhetorical question he knows is in the hearts of the Romans. Shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? Well, if we experience grace when we sin, let's just sin it up so we experience more grace. I'm free, baby. Live how I want to live. I got my rights. Actually, 1 Corinthians is all about that. Starting in chapter 8, Paul's all about you do have rights as a Christian. Basically, everything's clean in Jesus Christ, but you need to be willing to lay all of that down for the sake of the gospel. You cannot have an attitude where I'm going to live in my freedoms and no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because I've been saved and that be teaching that's in line with the gospel. It's not the teachings of scripture. It's twisting the scripture. Freedom teaching. Licentiousness is a good old word. Free living. But the opposite of that, what else should we look out for? What's the opposite of that? Legalism. Look out for works-based teaching, right? So now you have this middle, you have this, 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 this line you have to draw through the word of God. You have to work hard not to let your heart try to excuse anything you want to do, but you also have to work hard to make your heart not want to do something good to feel better and closer to God. That's not the gospel either. It's evil. It's the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees who, you know what they would do? They would go through different lands, search far and wide to proselyze people. And the end result of that person who, who becomes a proselyte of these Sadducees and Pharisees, the second state was worse than the first and they were twice the son of the devil as a result of taking on the teachings of these people. Why? Because they were more concerned with finding followers than actually mending people's hearts. And what they were teaching them was a non-gospel, non-biblical, works-based, you must work hard to get to heaven. Your good works have to outweigh your bad. Wrong. Look out for any teaching that would do that, that would make God's love on you conditional, that would make your salvation conditional, that would make your favor with God conditional. Jesus has the love of the Father. You think God's gonna deny his son He 
His righteousness has been imputed to you. That means God will never look at you different than the way he looks at his son, which is worthy, 100% accepted, loved, cared for, and pure and righteous because of Jesus. No other religion teaches this. This is God's truth. Which brings me to the last red flag. Look out to the follow me teaching. The follow me teaching. Give your money and your loyalty to me. But the reason that type of teaching works is because you have something in your life you desperately want to change and they promise that those things will change if you do those things. More things to look out for, but those are five red flags that we look out for as we're trying to be a church that's empowered, church of peace, a church that by the Holy Spirit is building one another. We cannot take truth from our own heart or entertain garbage teaching. We're people who are devoted to this, understanding we're all coming at it at different angles, patience with one another, knowing we don't all have it figured out, but we all have the same heart, the same heart that says, I recognize that this is what I need. And so I'm gonna conform my life to this. Your word is a lamp to a feet and a light to my path. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Second Peter 1, by his divine power, we have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. Verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 14, as we conclude it. He says, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. A church that builds, church at peace, a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit is a church that does all things decently and in order. He reminds you about the two points he was bringing up. Earnestly desire, have an affection, all of us affectionate to see prophecy be a gift that is exalted where, where God is speaking through us to others. It's like God is speaking directly to you through someone else doesn't just have to be someone here on stage. It's not the same thing as teaching and preaching, but teaching and preaching always involves prophecy being experienced. And maybe that's like, God's pressing in my heart to say this to you. And that's good for someone. That is beneficial. And he remember, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He doesn't say earnestly desire it. He says when it comes to this gift of unknown language being manifested in a miraculous way, simply stop putting effort towards it. I wonder how many churches would not have their sensational, crazy, out-of-body experiences if they never put effort towards it and just let it happen. Would it happen ever? It's a good question. Don't forbid it. That's the exhortation. So that means the moment churches go outside and above simply not forbidding tongues being spoken and they go into teaching it, pushing it, exhorting it, making it a thing that's earnestly desired, they're not being a church decently in order. And by extension of what Paul's saying, they're still in the flesh. They're not spiritually led. The spirit will not do that. Strive to excel in the things that build the church. And how appropriate that he ends that building by making the emphasis about the word of God, people hearing it and believing it clearly. All things should be done decently and in ordered. Empowered. By the Spirit, chapter 12, through love, chapter 13, and for others, 
chapter 14. Take this truth, let it soak into your own life and seek the Lord. Like God, what are you teaching me through this? How are you trying to mold me even more to be a person that, that yields to and follows and is conformed to the image of Christ through your word? Thank you for all that you've done. You're worthy of my life conforming to what you want it to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are our God. We do not bow down to false gods. We do not, as best we can, give ear to the false gods all through the world, the people in our life, the things in our life, the the influences in our life that are constantly at work because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood to pull us away from you and to devour us, to isolate us, to make us alone, to make it where we're far away from our brothers and sisters, far away from you, and we're alone in a desert being ravaged and destroyed by this ravenous enemy the devil whose time is coming and he knows it's short but he's going after us as hard as he can father would you show patience to that person who's alone right now would you pull them back into a place of 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 water and refreshing in the oasis out of the desert in a place where the words washing over them again where they're yielding to you where they're letting go of their bitterness they're letting go of their anger they're letting go of their own personal preferences and their gut and their instinct they're letting go of any friendship or whatever it may be and they're coming to you with their arms open saying God, I'm yours. Teach me, mold me, make me. Time is short and I want to die and see you face to face and see you smiling at me, glad that I gave you my life and not the enemy. But God, in all these things, we're powerless. We need you to intervene. So do that for the person this morning that needs that. In Jesus' name, amen.